Hi, hello, how are you? Thanks for stopping by. Today we're going to talk to some real people about some real things, living real lives, doing real stuff. This is the Working Perspectives Podcast. I'm Matt Lavelle, accompanied as always by my editor, producer, Tom Byers. This is the part two of the Alex Lavelle experience. This is part two of four. If you haven't checked out part one, please do so and let us know what you think. Uh, You can find us on all podcast platforms and YouTube at Working Perspectives Podcast. You can find us on Spotify at The Working Perspectives Podcast. And then you can follow us on Twitter at Working P Pod. And if you want to hit us up on Instagram, maybe give us some memory lame stuff, maybe memory lame ideas, you can do it at Working Perspectives Podcast on Instagram. All right, let's get this shit started. All right, let's go. Fencing is badass, right? Like, take away all the guns and shit. Swords are the fucking gimmick, you know? Sure. So, okay, so let's keep it moving. I want to get into your job history and stuff, and then it'll transition into some of the traveling you did. So let's start first. So the first job I have here that you did, and I had the same job just a few years earlier, is that at the age of 12, you were a busser at this Italian restaurant that we brought up before called Casa de Michi, where yeah. our mom was a waitress. Tom's mom was a waitress at before. I you, don't mean, know. you mean Shake? Uh, yeah, Shake's mom was a waitress there as well. Well, she was a waitress at Luigi's. Did it? I don't know if she did it yeah. when it became Casa. She did. She was there. Huh. Yeah. And Anthony was a dishwasher there too. Oh. Yeah. They all, was before they all my worked time. there. It was before my time. Working nine to so yeah uh, so Alex was a busser there so what did you think Alex that was your first job how'd you feel what'd you learn uh it was uh <laughs> what do you mean what did I think uh it was uh it was all right you know I didn't I was like the worst employee because yeah I didn't know what I was doing so sure. I just showed up one day my first night. I made like 78 bucks in tips or something like Woo! on my own. Yeah. And so like as a, as a 12 year old, that was like a lot of money. And then Big the time. next night I, I did something similar. I did like 60 some bucks. Or something. And yeah. so I kind of set myself up then thinking like, Oh, you know, this is like normal, but I don't know if it was just because yeah. mom was working and like, this is my son or but i don't know people were like handing me five dollar bills and stuff but then she stopped working there pretty soon after and so i was still working there and i didn't know what i was doing i was like 12 years old and we didn't have like team meetings or anything there was no like formal training so uh a lot of they just said do this and do this yeah made a lot of mistakes i would say didn't really know they used to um Trisha, who worked there, used to love Trish. Yeah, she was amazing. But she used to talk to me about prioritizing. I'd be like, prior what? You know, you mean talk to people more so they'll give me more money? I don't know what you're talking about, lady. Um, yeah. So yeah, but that was it. I mean, it was it was a good first first job. I used to be I, right. my feet used to hurt so bad when I came home. Oh, uh, that's one thing that people don't realize about when you're a waiter or a busser or food runner or cook or anything like that. You got to train your legs and your feet to mm-hmm. take that because it takes the first a couple, couple weeks. weeks yeah. It's brutal. Uh-huh. But then once they get like trained up and they're, and they're beat in a little bit, they get used to it. 
But those first couple of weeks are brutal. I just remember working like bartending and, and serving so many times, just thinking like, God damn, I just wish I had a job where I sat down. Yeah. You just never want to be that server or bus or whatever that is running <laughs> through the restaurant. I've always thought, kept, Tom said that to me once, because, you know, we come from like a family of servers, big restaurant. You just don't want to be that server that's like running, you know, it's, yeah. just, it's like you're, you always want to like maintain some professionalism, right. Um, and not get caught up. But any restaurant that I've worked in, there's a degree of like crampedness, right. Even if it's a small space yeah. or a big space you're always trying to fit as many people as you can into that yep. space. So there's, it's always going to be kind of tight, at least at times, yeah. you know, you're squeezing between tables, you're carrying stuff, you're, you know, so you're always maneuvering around smaller restaurant. I don't know. It's like, you, it's easier to see everything, but it's also, there's nowhere to hide. Yeah. yeah. So. And the kitchens, I mean, the yeah. kitchens is a real, that's another wild card. If you have like a tiny little kitchen, because the, you know, the guys in the kitchen, they don't have to be nice. You know, I dealt with that firsthand. One of the first places I worked at was a bar slash like family restaurant. And it was an actual like family place where like, you know, it was kind of nice. Um, and it wasn't nice, but it was like wholesome. Like it wasn't just a bar. And man, when you went back in that kitchen, if you weren't on your game, like one of the cooks would definitely scream at you. And I remember I went in with like a huge tub of, you know, I was bussing and I had a whole bunch of dishes and I went in and I almost hit a waitress when she had like the big, you know, platform plate thing going on. Oh, the tray. So she almost lost like a full tray of, of, you know, brand new food. And the cook just looked at me and then screamed at me in the top of his lungs. I was like mortified. I, I must've been 13, 14 and I like I immediately like ran out of there, and uh, I, I did not go back in the kitchen for the rest of my shift. It was it was a scare. <laughs> he, he later overdosed, yeah. so, so I, fuck him. <laughs> oh Jesus, she! I remember. I mean, I would cook. I cooked at a bunch of places and things like that. But I know what you're saying. It is kind of like cooks do have a stigma and an attitude of like being jerks, but like also on the other side like that's almost like he's kind of like initiating you because once the cooks are your boys like mm-hmm. they're your boys you're like they're ride or die yeah Pretty cool yeah you got to get in good with the kitchen mm-hmm. so i want to keep it moving because like i said we got a huge list here so alex uh also worked at a place that's near and dear to all of our hearts so we lived in a neighborhood and we were very lucky to have a neighborhood that had a corner deli and the corner deli was like our staple. Like we would meet there, we'd hang out there. Everyone was buying stuff from there. It was just like our place. It was this famous place that made these famous sandwiches that everyone knew about. And it was really, really good. So the place was called Giuliano's Deli, right? So Alex worked there for a time, right? And so Alex, at the deli, what were you just like stocking the fridge and making sandwiches? What were you doing? Yeah, it was really short lived because uh, I ended up joining the wrestling team right after and so i stopped having time after school to to do it um yeah but it was like for a couple months like maybe like three or four months i was there and um yeah i was restocking the cooler washing dishes you know vacuuming up bringing people in not making sandwiches uh i could put stuff 
in the fryer, but not like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, not like you have to be sandwiches. like you have to be the yeah, next level to make sandwiches. Yeah. Which you got to go to you know Juliana's University to be get your diploma in sandwiches. Yeah, I mean I probably so, would have worked for sandwiches. Were, yeah, they were the best. So a real Italian from there, top notch. So all right, so keep it moving. So you worked at Juliano's for a cup of coffee, uh, then left to join the wrestling team. Mm-hmm. So you're still in high school at this point, and then you started working at a retirement home. And I remember you got, uh, I believe you got uh, a friend of the show and hopefully aspiring guest of the show, uh, John Bell. I believe you got him a job at that retirement home. Is that right? You know, uh, I never worked with John at the retirement home because he okay. got a job in a different dining room. So at this uh, retirement home, there was like three dining rooms, but... Oh, so this was a big place. Yeah, well, there was the main dining room, right, which was like the premier area. Mm-hmm. Then there was another yeah. dining room that was more for people that were a little bit further along in their stay. Ooh, hoo, 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 and John, hoo. like, hated this place because he just, like, was surrounded by death. Um, <laughs> and oh he, and the people are much more – it's like – the, this dining room is where we where like they would send kind of folks that maybe uh weren't ready for main dining room <laughs> like the b team i guess john didn't have serving experience you know so they sent him there um and the the folks up there were a lot different you know you're serving a lot of like buttermilk and uh and uh bouillon to people you know, and they're just like, I don't, I don't know who you are, kind of thing. And was, oh my yeah. god! Yeah. So like legit, people are like, all right, uh, these are the people that could die at any time, so we're gonna keep them here. The people that are, you know, getting chlamydia from having their sex their meals. nurses would like be there with them, you know, um, oh, or there would be like nurses on staff there while you were serving them. It was. It, I mean, I, I maybe did one shift there the whole time. I was like, oh, get me out of here. That bad, huh? Yeah, it was not. A, I was like subbing for someone. They they needed someone to cover a shift. And John didn't fare too well there either in that in that environment. I don't know how long he was there, to be honest. I think he was there like a couple months and then yeah. left. It was really, I had another friend, Rachel, who was who's a friend of the show. Um, no, no, no. Uh, I, I'm the only mean shaker. The only ones allowed to say who are friends of oh, the show. Okay. Uh, but, but sausage is as of now is not a friend of the show, but could be. But How do people become friends of the show? Uh, they listen to oh. the show. Oh, okay. or because they're a guest. Well, then she, the she, she might be a friend of the show. You don't even know. Um, she isn't, some, she isn't following us on any socials. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, she was a friend. Like she was my friend who I worked with the most there. Also, some kids we grew up with. Uh, I mean, I probably can't. You know, you might have to add his name up. But like Drew Mangle worked there senior year. Love so Drew, great we kid. Like uh, we were friends. You know, so. But I didn't get to work with John yeah. too much. At and then John was previously brought up for the for the true fans of the show. They will remember him. As the uh, karaoke singing, mop wielding uh, madman that worked at Subway when um, mm-hmm. Jill Byers did her. Jill's episode. And she was working at an ice cream 
trap that was right, attached yep. to a subway. So she would have to watch this right. John and, Bell. Yep. So, it was actually Jesse that got him that right, job. Right. Just to connect all the dots here, John and, and Alex grew up together and went to uh, Catholic school together and, and raised a lot of hell. And then, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of working some jobs mm -hmm. together as well. So just to, I just wanted to. He also was was Sheikh's uh, next door my, neighbor. My next door neighbor. All of yep. all these famous, awesome people that you hear about, we all grew up in the same neighborhood, man. It's 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 unbelievable. We all grew up. Yep. But John and I okay. were two days apart, and so that's how we became friends. Very cool. Very cool. So uh, all right. So let's keep it moving. So you were at uh, the retirement home. So then was it after that or during that you're also delivering pizzas and working uh, at a dishwasher at the pizza place? After that, quit the retirement home senior year was like, I'm done with this. Um, and leading up to that, there were, <laughs> there were some things. Um, but left the retirement home and then started uh, delivering for Franconi's got like a call one day from a friend was like hey you got a car i was like yeah he's like we need a driver I was like, all right um nice so i delivered for franconi's until i went i went on a two month no i went on a one month trip to uh to europe and that was uh and when i came back i was like i don't want to deliver pizza at franconi's All right, fans, time for a break in the action. We're going to bring back one of our favorite segments, 90 Seconds of 90 Day Fiance. This is where we talk about the show 90 Day Fiance from the TLC channel. This is a show where immigrants try and trick ugly Americans into marrying them to get green cards. Our good friend, Party Boy Pete McCormick, is going to share some of the most awesome stories from the show. Party Boy Pete, what's the story? What's up, party people? This is Party Boy P. McCormick with 90 Seconds of 90 Day Fiancé, and today we will be talking about Elizabeth and Andre. Elizabeth is from Florida, and Andre is from Moldova. If you're wondering about Moldova, Moldova is where dreams go to die and where Florida ugly ducklings go to find their fiancé. When they get back to America, Andre doesn't want to find a job. Elizabeth's family pays for him to become a trucker, which he abandons to become a handyman, which he abandons to become a stay-at-home dad. He keeps changing jobs. As I said, Elizabeth isn't the most attractive of the sisters. You can find out how attractive the other sisters are on their OnlyFans page. Yes, all of them have OnlyFans pages. Everyone in the family has also been arrested. And when they go to Moldova for the wedding, they're upset at the food. They think it's peasant food because it's not McDonald's. Instead, it's croissants and fresh fruit. Anyway, that's 90 Seconds of 90 Day Fiance. Back to you, man. All right, and that was another episode of 90 Seconds of 90 Day Fiancé with our good friend, party boy, Pete McCormick. All right, back to the show. Okay, so let's get into that then, right? So you were essentially delivering pizzas and working at a dishwasher at this pizza place to save up money to go to Europe. So... Mm -hmm. After you graduated high school, you convinced our mom to not buy me a cell phone, but instead pay for you to have a trip to Europe with your friend, Jimmy. What was that trip like? Uh, where did you go? What did you see? Give us a good synopsis and story from there. Take it away. All right. Uh, so that trip was uh, was really intense. You know, there was, there was a lot going on uh, leading up to it, but we... Um, 
we basically left the day after high school graduation and we were gone for a month. We started in Ireland, then went over to uh, Paris, then to Rome, then we were in Athens, then we went to like the Greek islands for a minute, then we went back um, up through Italy and Germany uh, to um, Prague. So we were in the Czech Republic and then we went to Amsterdam and from Amsterdam, we flew back to Ireland and we finished the trip out in Ireland. So it is to be said uh, for our listeners, when he says we, he means a friend of the show and brother of a guest of the show, uh, Jimmy McCormick. He's the brother to Pete McCormick, who some people know him as the tax man, um, but he was a former guest on the show. And Jimmy is a good friend of the show. Can't wait to have him on. So you're in Europe. You're literally, you're 18, you just graduated high school, you go to Ireland, then you're popping around Europe, doing your thing, yeah. living the life of a young man on the road and doing it up. So what would you say, if you had to say, what was the best, your favorite place that you visited while in Europe? Yeah, I mean, hands down, it was the, uh, we went to Mykonos, very, you might know it from Lindsay Lohan, had a video like a couple like a year or so ago that went viral. Like, this is how you party at Mykonos, bitch. Um, but we were on Mykonos. That was probably the coolest thing. Uh, like nice. Just, I've heard know. Greece is beautiful. Yeah, it's one of the most beautiful places on the planet. Uh, Athens itself was kind of dirty and not my fave, but the food was cheap. Um, Greece was definitely... And then after that, uh, Paris was really cool. Expensive, but really cool. And... Uh, you know, Ireland and Amsterdam. I mean, Rome wasn't my favorite, but we weren't there that long. Uh, so I'd love to yeah. go back and it was just super hot when we went. But, you know, yeah. the trip in general was super eye-opening because, you know, we have been watching like Euro Trip and uh, what was that movie? Hostel. So we had like, <laughs> we had like two very like, mixed yeah things of like, opposite ends uh, of the spectrum there we were staying in hostels you know what i mean so we were like it was a, a pretty eye-opening experience where we didn't have cell phones we had a set amount of money that we blew through like a third of our money in the first like two days just from like living oh, like shit. we were on vacation right like we were you know you know a burger in uh in Dublin was like 15 bucks, 15 like euro, you know what I mean? Which is, oh. like, yeah, it was like, so we were blowing through money left and right. We had already spent like a lot on just plotting out for the traveling. So it was a really eye opening experience of like, oh wow, like this could go bad. You know, we can't get in contact with people. If we get our shit stolen, you know, and we were in, in Amsterdam, I remember these kids like a bunk over you know we're 18 at the time uh these kids like a bunk over got robbed like in the middle of the night um and i heard it but i was so out of it <laughs> that i didn't know that's what was happening and i don't i don't know i thought it was maybe we were what, what do you mean that they get robbed in the hostel no someone just went through their shit and stole their shit oh i so, see like, they got pickpocketed essentially but it's like if oh, someone man. would have stolen our cash, we would have been up shit's creek. Like, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, it's hard to get. The only thing that you could do is like in Europe at the time was like dial up internet, 
you know, you might be able to get uh, on instant messenger, or, like send an email, you know, but you can't. Oh my God. Yeah. You yeah. have been so effed. Yeah. And like, forget about like wiring money and stuff. So yeah, that was, that was scary. And then we had to budget and it, so the money was a big finance, like a big stress. And it was also just the two of us. Right. And, uh, you know, so like just being entertained for a month, you know, we're spending every minute of every day with each other because like you almost don't want to let somebody out of your sight because you could lose them. You don't have a cell phone. You know what I mean? And so, oh my um, God. and there was one night when we did actually, I, we like got separated. This was in Greece, which was like the coolest thing. It was like the first night I ever hitchhiked. It was insane. I was like, you know, the good thing was the drinking age was 18 everywhere. You know, you could, you could just go to a bar, you could chill out. So, um, but it was a really intense trip. Uh, and leading up to it, I had some like things in my personal life going on, some like romantic things that were kind of like, you know, all like put on hold during this trip. And there was just so much happening. It was, it was very, very intense. Eye opening nice. for sure. Nice. Good. Glad to hear that. <laughs> so good. I mean, that's what the trip is about. So, all right. So you have a blast in Europe and like, honestly, I'd love to have just a show of you, of you telling stories from Europe and things like that. But, uh, so you, you get home from Europe, you're officially a travel cultured new man. Yeah. 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 You're officially a, a man about town. So when you get back, you start working at Ruby Tuesdays. Now, yeah. I don't know. I've never worked at a Ruby Tuesdays, but I have worked at Applebee's. And it was the worst job I've ever had, the worst place I've ever worked. If there is alien life on this planet, they work at Applebee's. But tell us, what was your experience like working at Ruby Tuesdays? Um, the people, you know, it was a new restaurant. It had just opened up. So we were like we can't, we kind of ran the show. So my, so my friend Danielle got me, um, you know, who's a four street legend. Um, AKA sweet mama cheesecake. She got me the, the job. And so it was like the three of us, her, you know, our friend Kelly, uh, we had a bunch of friends that were working there. And so it was a new restaurant, new managers. They didn't really know what to do with us. So we kind of just did whatever we wanted um nice and i remember one time you know we had like a bird call system that like the plan was if it was going to be a mass exodus we were all going to quit at the same time if if the, if the management like tried to push us too far and the, the plan was i was going to like stand up and do a bird call and one night it got very close to that but it didn't it didn't end up happening but you know <laughs> But we did have a would whole... Would they all have walked out with you? I would definitely... I don't know if it would have been a Jerry Maguire moment or not, but there were there there was definitely a Wendy in there who was ready to uh, to go, you know, to go at any moment. Um, oh, so, my God. I you know, it that. was it was goofy, but we, you know, we were 19 years old. You were also so, young kids, yeah. Yeah, so it was like, at this point, you know, it was like 18, 19. It was the year after graduating um high school and so we were just like all about partying and you know that was yeah was just supporting Young our lives with money and, still living at home yeah. you know so after that uh you worked there for a little while and then you uh you got the travel bug again 
and you went to live in Hawaii yeah. for a summer. Yeah. And when living in Hawaii, you worked at a restaurant I've never been to, uh, but I'm very interested in, uh, Bubba Gump. So Bubba what Gump. was it like living in Hawaii and working at the Bubba Gump restaurant? Please, please do tell. Well, I mean, uh, it was awesome. Like, uh, Bubba Gump's probably the best, at least the one in, you know, uh, Waikiki is the best place I ever worked in a restaurant. You know, they had a really cool culture. The people were great. It was a lot of transplants. It was a mix of like transplants. Really? Yeah. And people from, that were local and had lived there forever. So there it was a good mix. You know, people that were, were cool that like, you know, you could party with or have fun with. And also like, I, I went by a different name <laughs> when I was in Hawaii. So when I was in Hawaii, I came out, right? That was like my plan to be as far away as possible from our hometown and like mm-hmm. try coming out. So I was like, okay, well this way it won't like, you know, it's a safer place, right? With my reputation. Um, so I had a different, I went by a different name. I had an alias. I was, I went by Jack. Oh, no. Just Jack. Um, oh. Yeah. Yeah. And, and why? And so, speaking of handsome men, uh, why did you pick the name Jack, Alex? You know, there was this legend in our hometown. No. Yeah. Uh, no, that's not why. I, legend. I don't know. I just thought, I, I you know. I easy, like, easy name. Hey, yeah. That'll be a fun name. And then people would, all, people would be like, hey, Captain Jack, I bet you heard that one before. I was like, oh yeah, you know, all the time, right? <laughs> um, so it was like, it was, but it was also like, it was really freeing because I didn't have this whole kind of identity that I was taking with me there. I could kind of, and what I found was like, I could be myself. It was, it was great. I could just be myself and and not really have to worry about what people nice. thought, you know? Because um, nice. yeah, so it was, it was really one of the coolest trips ever. Um, you know, I went with a friend. I went with Big Mama Cheesecake. She she ended up having to leave halfway through, and and that was like intense. It wasn't planned, and so again, it was like scary to be out there. But it was uh, it was really cool. I love that's something that you've already. I I commend you on very much. Is that you always like. If it's a tough situation like that, like you lived in Hawaii by yourself, you traveled Europe by yourself, like just after high school and like you've lived in Chicago and different places and you've always just been able to like, you know, get on your feet and do your thing and you aren't scared. And that's something that should be commended because a lot of people and I'm one of them, I, I'm, you know, I don't know if I could move up and go to Hawaii. You know what I mean? So well, I wouldn't say that I wasn't scared and also I wouldn't have done it right. Like I had a, my friend like pushed me out there to do it. And I just said yes and, and went with it. But I, it was definitely, it was a really scary situation. It's just, what are you going to do? You know, like yeah. you, you can't, yeah. you, you just got to kind of have to make the best of it. Um, but yeah, you know, and, and I mean, so what? Like I was in Hawaii. Like that's what you asked me. Yeah. You asked me like, uh, how was living in Hawaii and how was bubblegums? Bubblegums was great, but the best part was living in Hawaii because even when you're having a bad day in Hawaii, you're in Hawaii. Like it's, it's not that yeah. bad. Like go for a walk, yeah. go to the beach. I would work double shifts at this restaurant and on my break, 
I would just go out to the beach and I was like, this is the oh. life. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, forget about it. So, oh, nice. Yeah. So and it wasn't there, like, like people coming there are like on vacation and like relaxing. too. Yeah. Right? Especially in that part. Right. Like we're in we're on the main strip, you know, it's, it's a very touristy area. So it was a lot of people on vacation, um, you know, sometimes military, but, but a lot of people on vacation that were, that were coming through. And so most people are there to just yeah. have a good time. They're there to like spend money. Okay, fans, now for a little break in the action, we're going to introduce a new segment to the show. This is The Date You Hate with our good friend Burlington Bach. Burlington, what's the date and what do you hate? Hey, Matt, the date is May 6th, 1679. You know what I really hate? When I come home from work and there's dishes in the damn sink. I mean, somebody's here all day. Like, nobody can do the freaking dishes around the house. Like, so I got to come home. After working all day, sweating, and freaking my hands hurt, my feet hurt, and I get to come home and see there's dishes in the sink again. I mean, what else am I to do, you know? I'm tired, and this is bullshit. That's the date, and that's what I hate. All right, that was the date you hate with our good friend Burlington Bach. Now, back to the show. You stay in, uh, you're in Hawaii for a summer, and then you come back from Hawaii. So this should be said. Um, our father, our dad, was a veteran. And uh, he also, he had gone blind uh, in, like, the, he, he was, he had lost his sight, but then he went completely blind in, like, the, like, 2006-ish, somewhere around that, right? So uh, at that time, he was a veteran, and he, uh, a disabled veteran, so there was a program where he could run a convenience store at a government-owned building, right? So what he did was he got hooked up with a job running a convenience store at the Social Security building in downtown Philadelphia, right? So he gets this store. When he took the store over, the store was a joke. There was, like, nothing there. It was just, like, a crap hole. People didn't go there. So then he took it over, and I worked there. Alex worked there. A bunch of, you know, a bunch of us worked there. And we really got the store up and running and they got like a bunch of things in there and really made it like popular and pretty good. So uh, that being said, so Alex, when coming back from Hawaii, got a job working at our dad's store at the Social Security building. So I worked there and at the same time, Alex was working there or no, he worked there for a while. Alex, what did you think about working at, you know, working for our dad at the store, you know? after coming back from Hawaii? It was a struggle, for sure, uh, for a lot of reasons. You know, I mean, that it's hard to work with family in general. It was a new business. It wasn't something that we grew up with. So there weren't, like, established rules. It wasn't normal for us. We had to figure that out. I didn't, we didn't always spend a lot of time around each other. And then we were spending, like, five days a week together, um, and we were in a work environment. So it, it was, there were struggles for that reason, but also it was in the social security building in Philadelphia. And like, I used to say like the, this is before it's always sunny became a thing, but it was like, the sun does not shine in Philadelphia. And it mm-hmm. definitely does not shine on that building. Like agreed, it, it was just a 100%. dark, you're, there's no windows in, in that no one section smiles. where we were, you know, people, are coming there and it's like 
there it's it's not like a friendly thing like people are just no. miserable and so yeah i i struggled with it but they but then i had some good times there like they did uh they did end up breathing some life into that space but you know they'll tell you yeah. it was a challenge um or gabe sure. would tell you what part of philadelphia was it in it was at Third and Spring Garden, so it's like right down. Like uh, for those gentlemen out there, it's right by Delilah's. You guys have regulars that came in and got coffee. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Every every day. So this was in a government building. It was for the workers of that building, and and what it was is like we would all have to have like laminated passes and everything. Like it was very much like it's a social security building, so it's a very secure building. Right. And they have like a bunch of like security and things like that. And you have to be like, you have to, like, they had to put you through a whole process just to even let you in. So we all got our passes and we get in. But then it's for people that work there. So, like, say you work at Social Security Building and there's a ton of people that work there, you would come in, right? If you didn't have time to stop at Starbucks or 7 Eleven or Wawa or something on your way in, you would come in, you could get your coffee, you could get food. You could, they had like a bunch of, you know, they had like the refrigerators with all the, the drinks and the sodas and you know like it was literally like a convenience store inside the social security building and it's like a thing that they do for disabled veterans and they get to have things mm. like that you know so it was it was cool that the government was able to hook them up with that and i think that i like that they do that stuff for veterans you know what i mean so uh working at the store alex was there but then alex i ended up getting alex a job as a server at Vinny t's and he was also working at uh, this restaurant called Pumpernix at the same time while lifeguarding in the summer. So he was he was getting some stuff in. <clears throat> so Alex, uh, give me some give me some uh, give me some little stuff. How did you like working? You did three jobs at one time: Vinny T's, Pumpernix, and lifeguarding. Tell me how'd it go. <laughs> um, I mean, essentially, I didn't like any one of them well enough to like do it all the time so i would i would kind of uh just spread out my time at different places to kind of switch it up i know so i didn't get bored the lifeguarding gig was great because it didn't pay well but you're sitting by a pool all day for the summer so yeah couldn't complain about that i would read a lot of books um you know and just kind of hang out think about my life get a tan um and then the restaurant was good for like fast cash. It was a little more stressful. You're on your feet. It sucked working day shifts because you're just kind of throwing your day away and then you're working all night. It's like, it could be a long day, but uh, Pumpernix was great. The food was great. Um, I got to work with my friend, Jimmy. It was an hourly position. I never really was a fan of that coming from the service industry, but again, yeah. you know, it was cool. I mean, it was like uh my first stint um, at a Jewish deli. So I got exposed to all <laughs> different kinds of food that I wasn't yeah. normally as familiar with and learn more about the culture there. So that was really cool. So then after that, you're then you kind of like started doing the lifeguarding thing in the summer, you kind of like took that on as like a like a thing. So like you did that for three summers in a row. Mm -hmm. And then after the third summer of lifeguarding, you got promoted to assistant regional manager of like so the way it would be is like there's a ton of like apartment complexes around this area 
and all the apartment complexes have like pools there, but all the pools have to have lifeguards at them. So there's like a business that supplies lifeguards for all the pools and all the apartment complexes. And that was what Alex was doing. So then Alex became assistant regional manager for that lifeguarding place. So how did, how did you like that? You were kind of in like a managerial role, I would say for like the first time. Yeah. And how did you, how did you like that? How did it go? Tell us what happened. I can confidently say that that is the worst job I ever had. For sure. <laughs> um, what? I, yeah, I can confidently say that. Cause I went from being a lifeguard, sitting by the pool, really having free reign over what I did and like autonomy. Nobody really was watching what mm-hmm. I did. People nope. love me. I taught a water aerobics class like two days a week. Oh, there you go. You know, it was like, you know, it was great. The the I had regulars that came down. They knew me. To now I was this manager, assistant manager with a new manager too. So we were both brand Ooh. new. We were both the same Ooh. age. Um, and she was great. She was the manager. But it's like essentially we were doing the same job, but she was getting paid more. And so... Oh take that you know anyway but, uh, <laughs> so we were we we're doing the same job she was getting paid more and and that wasn't the big complaint I was like whatever you know that's what I signed up for I'm not gonna mm-hmm. you know I'm a, I was a team player but the company itself like they just run you into the dirt my car got messed yeah. up I was driving so many miles I probably drove like 50,000 miles that summer or something and it was just Ugh. insane I was dry our territory was huge we were visiting, you know, there, we had 24 pools in our territory and you've got to, you know, you're supposed to touch and see them every day. And so if you split it in half, that's 12 pools I'm going to. In an eight hour shift, you know, these pools might be anywhere from 10 to, you know, a half an hour away from each other. So then you're going in, you're checking in with these employees, seeing if they have any issues. Then you're checking in the pool making sure that all, everything's right. It was just a mess. It was terrible, uh, mismanaged. I would never, ever, ever like work for that company again. <laughs> but, you know, the biggest thing I learned was, and, I, and this is something I continued to learn in management going forward, was like, you know, you've got to care about your employees that you work for. I, t- I did take that very seriously. Um, and still do, but it was like, that was the other thing. Like this company could, could care less about their lifeguards that were out oh, there. Wow. And, you know, yeah. it was, it, I, I mean, I won't say their name, but they were trash. I would never, ever, oh, shit. you know, yeah. but I did love, you know, I loved some of the people I worked with. Um, I loved my, I, lo- I loved a lot of my employees. Like, you know, I mean, they would, they would get a kick out of it. Like, you know, wanted me to like come hang out <laughs> you young whippersnappers <laughs> i was like 22 or something and that's a pennsylvania state law is that correct that you have to have a a lifeguard at apartment complexes that have pools Ooh, good question it's, yeah it is something to do yeah. with the the law you know yeah i live in california now and they just have signs up saying like hey don't drown we don't have lifeguards you can do that. Yeah, you can do that too. There are pools that can do that too. It's there's like a liability thing. Yeah. So it's your it's for insurance reasons. It's like cheaper. Yeah. Um, yeah. To hire a, lower, a pool like, company. Lower monthly if you have a thing or whatever. It's so yeah. stupid yeah. the way it is. In California, they have signs that say "Don't drown" and also "Please don't have diarrhea in our pools." And it's 
it depends on how deep the pool is too. It it depends on how deep the pool is too. Yeah. So but uh you know, there were some communities where where we our job was just to like upkeep the pool. That was a pain in the ass too. It was it was ridiculous. Long hours, terrible job. But it was my first stint in management, middle management. After that, then you kind of went back to dad's store for a little bit. And at the same time, you went to his store because you were an intern at Theater Exile in Philly. So you really like you were doing the theater thing in school. I remember Mm. we would go to a bunch of your shows and things like that. Thanks for that. Really, really. Yeah, of course. They're great. We loved going and everything (laughs) like that. And so uh, (laughs) so you're kind of right. Either way, uh, you know, so uh, then we, so you, uh, you were getting, you did, you did the intern thing at Theater Exile in Philly while working at dad's store again. And like, you kind of wanted to get this theater gimmick off the ground. Right. So uh, tell us, you know, like we know, like you were working at dad's store, but what were your jobs as an intern in theater? So Theater Exile is the name of the theater company. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So what was your job as an intern while working for Theater Exile in Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, Theater Exile was like the young, hot theater, right? And so our first oh, yeah. show that we did that I worked on was called The Lieutenant of Inishmore, and it was this big, bloody production. So one of the things I did Ooh. was, you know, because I worked at the store, I had access to Restaurant Depot. So I like yep. went with the props designer at Restaurant Depot. We got all the um equipment for like the fake blood and so yeah you know like corn syrup and all that stuff and then yeah. i would help you know with a bunch of different stuff so i guess the first thing i did was like reorganize the props room and um you know keep an inventory of like props and costumes and stuff that we yeah. had um and then oh, it was anything from like hanging pictures in the office to you know what i went there for was i wanted I initially wanted to do publicity, but my buddy who was there told me to go a different route into marketing and to work with the person who was in charge of that. And he was right. Like she was awesome. So I would make promotional videos for the plays that were coming out and things like that. And, you know, um, I did some graphic work for like the online um, promoting our next show. Yeah. That kind of stuff. So it was cool. And then Dude, it, that's cool. Yeah. And then, I mean, I got to be close to a theater company. Um, and while I was like, you know, still at this point, I was like president of the drama club at, or I had yeah. been president of the drama club at the, my, my school. And, you know, I was pretty involved. And then they hired me on to be an artistic assistant, which was essentially kind of ah. doing the same thing, but then getting paid. So Nice. Cool. And I feel like like theater. So theater is one of those things where it's like when you're in it, it's very much you're in it. But it's one of those things that like I don't know a lot about it. And I don't think Shake does either, where it's like it's one of those things like you see it from the outside. It's kind of like a closed door kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. no one gets to see how the sausage gets made and stuff. So it's really yeah, cool that you got to go in the there. Curtain kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So like when you so the theater company itself so theater exile did it have like an office or like what like where was it where were you working out of yeah so that's where i worked out of they had an office and then connected to the office was so the office was in west philly um i can't really remember the streets but it was 
it was uh connected to a garage right that they had converted into like you know a performance space that they would do for like philadelphia fringe or if they were doing like a staged reading um Mm -hmm. but you know it was very grungy very very storefront theater uh which was what i was into at the time anyway so sure um so yeah it was basically working in this small office and then we would rent out a space for the production so say you're like an aspiring like writer and you wrote a play, you would contact theater exit and say like, Hey, I got this play. Do you have, I need actors and then I need a place to perform and like, I need props and all that stuff. So like you're a writer, you want to get your show off the ground, you contact them and they get it going. Is that kind of the thing or how no. does it work? No, no, no. So. All right. Well, big fucking swing. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Great. Uh, so, so like, okay. In theory, I guess a writer could do that, like like uh, hire a theater company to like put on their production, but that would be a lot of money for that writer. Um, yeah. With so what a theater company does is they have an artistic director and like you know an artistic team, a board typically too, that will approve their season beforehand, and the goal is you know, to create great theater, risky theater, something that's in line with their mission. They'll select all the plays, you know, like um, Exile had done a production of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, that got really great reviews and that kind of like put them nice. on the map. And so nice. they, they select the plays and then, you know, just craft and build the season around that. Usually it's already well-known oh. or writers that are, they're up and coming or something, something to the play speaks to them. So the theater company chooses the play. Now in there, sometimes you'll have an artist in residency, like a writer who will craft an original piece and it's like commissioned by the theater company. That happens a lot. Um, but for a smaller company like Exile, they they might work with like a like we worked with Noah Heidel who I love his work um, and he you know he's since gone on like to do bigger things um, of course everyone knows <laughs> Noah Heidel yeah he did, big fan he had a play out here in I mean I have to, I have to look in and see what, what he's done recently but he had a play out here in Chicago that was at the Goodman um, you know he, he was oh. just but there was other you know, Martin McDonough, who did The Lieutenant of Inishmore, um, was famous for doing these kind of like gory, he's an Irish playwright, and he did like these gory, yeah. you know, like Irish plays. And Big Petey actually Ugh, came out. Those to, Irish playwrights. Yeah, or... Pete came out to see that show. and um, What? Yeah. I got what the hell was he doing there? I got him tickets. He took a, he, he took a date there. And it was a really good, uh, it was a good show. Uh, we've, we've come to the top of time. Uh, our guest today, Alex Lavelle. Great job, Alex. Uh, I know that we've already booked you to come back on, but and I think I can agree with Shakespeare, but we would love to have you come on again as a guest. Would you be willing to come on again? No. <laughs> yes, of course. All right. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. This was an absolute pleasure, man. Loved having you. This was great. Uh, Shake, do you got anything you want to say to the people before we get out of here? Subscribe and rate us and tune into our Thursday little pop-in weekender thing. 
Oh, yeah. We got the weekend poppin' on Thursdays now. So everyone, yeah, make sure you uh, you listen to that or uh, or Alex is going to kill Alex you. Alex is going to kill you. Wait, do you, po- do you post these somewhere? <laughs> we post them. <laughs> Uh, what do you do after yeah every every tuesday the episodes are released on all podcast platforms and youtube yeah we have uh we have a bunch of is it on kyw what do you put it on kyw news radio i can listen to it in the morning when I'm driving into work. And uh, oh, uh, another thing, and uh, once again, big shout out to uh, Eric Dahl, who does all of our music for the podcast. So, all you. Shut all up. You, Eric does all, all the music. music. Oh my God. You haven't listened to a single fucking episode. I You've said it several times. I on don't air. listen all the way through, I peace through it. Oh, fuck off. I've been to so many of your shitty fucking plays you and all these shitty fucking shows, and now you can't even listen to a fucking episode. You know, I've been, I don't in, have Chicago. To I've been in Chicago box. for 10 years. You came out once. All right? So don't even talk yeah. to me about that. You're I've welcome. <laughs> hey, guess what? Your niece turned one this year, and you forgot to call her on her fucking birthday. So don't give me any so shit. So did mom. Boy. Can't get mad at me. So, and I sent her stuff. I could be, I could be mad at both of you. I sent her presents. Calm down. Oh, that's... Pre- presents don't make up for neglect. All right, Dad? <laughs> Jeez. I sent her some tasty cakes. <laughs> 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 like, here you go. Yeah. Your dad loves these. Don't ask. All right, folks, that is the end of Alex Lavelle part two. Part two. Uh, that is the end of the second part of the Alex Lavelle experience with the month of Alex here at the Working Perspectives podcast. Uh, as always, you can find us on all podcast platforms at Working Perspectives podcast and on the Spotify at the Working Perspectives podcast. Can't forget the the and uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Working P Pod and on Instagram at Working Perspectives Podcast. Want to be a guest on the show? Hit us at workingperspectives at gmail.com. Well, uh, well, that's the end of part two of the four part series of the Alex Lavelle Experience. Uh, thanks, everyone. Stick around for the ad read. See ya. Do you have a message or a story inside of you that you've been waiting to tell? Have you always dreamed of writing a book? but are intimidated by the complexities of the book publishing world? Perhaps you want to use a book to launch your public speaking or consulting career. If so, please reach out to Scott and Bell Publishing, located right here in beautiful Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Scott and Bell Publishing handle all genres and authors with all experience levels. Scott and Bell Publishing gives authors 100% creative freedom and a higher royalty split. They can be found at www.skotbell.com. That's www.s is in Sam, K is in Kite, O is in October, E is in Tom, B is in Boy, E is in Edward, L is in Larry, L is in Larry.com. That's Scott and Bell Publishing.
where the authors go. 